إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So in the last session you remember we were talking about the particular surahs that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to recite in the particular prayers which ones did he used to recite particularly in fajr in dhuhr in asr in maghrib in isha that is what we discussed last time briefly moving on from that we also mentioned that it is permissible to recite multiple surahs in the same raka'ah. And based upon that then we come to this narration that we mentioned in summary last time. The narration of Anas radiallahu anhu. The narration of Anas radiallahu anhu in Al-Bukhari qal, كان رجل من الأنصار يأمهم في مسجد قبا that there used to be a man who led the prayer the imam in masjid quba at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there was an imam in masjid quba وكان كلما افتتح سورة يقرأ بها لهم في الصلاة مِمَّا يَقْرَأُ بِهِ إِفْتَتَحَ بِقُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ مِنْهَا So every time when he was leading the prayer, after doing the Fatiha, the first thing that he would start with was قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Every raka'ah. He would do the Fatiha, and then first thing, after waladdalin amin qul huwa allahu ahad allahu samad lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lahu kufuwan ahad when he finished it then he would read some other surah of the quran so every time that was how he used to do it qul huwa allahu ahad first then some other surah some other part of the quran then allahu akbar into ruku' فَقَالُوا So they said to him, his other companions, they said to this imam of Masjid Quba at the time, إِنَّكَ تَفْتَتِحُ بِهَذِهِ السُّورَةِ You always start with, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدِ ثُمَّ لَا تَرَى أَنَّهَا تُجْزِئُكَ حَتَّى تَقْرَأَ بِأُخْرَى Then, it's as though, do you think that قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدِ is not enough? You always add another surah on top afterwards. Always قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ first. Then adding another surah afterwards. فَإِمَّا تَقْرَأُوا بِهَا وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَدَعَهَا So either just do قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Which is okay. One surah suffices. Either just do that or forget that and just do the other surah whichever one you pick. But why all the time, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ first, then always you add another surah afterwards. Just do one or the other. If you're gonna just stick to قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ, okay, just stick to that. If you're gonna do another surah, stick to that. 
But don't do قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ every time and then add another surah every time, making a combination between two every time. They said, do one or the other. فَقَالْ So that imam, he said to them, مَا أَنَا بِتَارِكِهَا I'm not gonna leave it. I'm not gonna stop reciting قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ first every time. إِنْ أَحْبَبْتُمْ أَنْ أَأُمَّكُمْ بِذَلِكَ فَعَلْتُ وَإِنْ كَرِهْتُمْ تَرَكْتُكُمْ If you like it, that's how I lead the prayer, then that's how I'm gonna do it. If you don't like it, I leave. Somebody else can be the imam. وَكَانُوا يَرَوْنَ أَنَّهُ مِنْ أَفْضَلِهِمْ And they used to know that he is one of their best reciters and Qur'an and everything. They knew he was one of their best. وَكَرِهُوا أَنْ يَأُمَّهُمْ غَيْرُ And they didn't really want anybody else leading the prayer. He was basically the best. So they didn't want anybody else leading the prayer. فَلَمَّا أَتَاهُمْ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم أَخْبَرُوهُ الْخَبَرُ So when the Prophet وسلم came to them, they told him the news. They told him to get some advice. They said, this is our situation. Our Imam, this is what he does. He recites, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدَ every time. Then he adds another surah. That we told him, just do one or the other. Why all the time like this? So the Prophet ﷺ said, يَا فُلَان Oh, such and such. That Imam, he called him. مَا يَمْنِعُكَ أَن تَفْعَلَ مَا يَأْمُرُكَ بِهَا بِهِ أَصْحَابُكَ What prevents you from doing the suggestion your companions have given you? They've suggested something to you to not continuously repeat قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Just do one surah, whichever surah. They've made that suggestion to you. Why do you not take that suggestion of theirs? وَمَا يَحْمِلُكَ عَلَى لُزُومِ هَذِهِ السُورَةِ فِي كُلِّ رَكَعَةِ And why do you stick to reading قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Every time, every rak'ah first? Why? Why do you do it? Why not do what your companions have suggested instead? فَقَالْ إِنِّي أُحِبُّهَا He said, I love Surah Al-Ikhlas. I love this Surah. It is known as Surah Al-Ikhlas because it is an indication of your sincerity in worship to Allah, Tawheed to Allah. He said, because I love this Surah. So always I start reciting it first, then I add some other part as well afterwards. I love this Surah. فقال, so the Prophet ﷺ said to him, حُبُّكَ إِيَّاهَا أَدْخَلَكَ الْجَنَّةِ Your love of this surah enters you into paradise. Your love of this surah will enter you into paradise. Love of this surah meaning love of tawheed. You love tawheed and you practice tawheed, that will enter you into paradise. So this is, or that was, regarding the issue of what a person should recite, and whether it is allowed to recite multiple surahs, we've just learnt now it is, and whether it's allowed to recite the same surah in both raka'ahs. So in the first raka'ah, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضِ, for example. In the second raka'ah, Imam again recites, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضِ, same one. 
allowed? It is allowed to do that. So that is regarding that issue. And that example of إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضِ is an actual hadith. The Prophet ﷺ actually did that. One time he led the prayer in the first raka'ah. وَلَا إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا The surah. Second raka'ah. وَلَا إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا Repeated the same surah in the second raka'ah. إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا So it's allowed to repeat it too. Then we move on to the next issue. Now we've discussed about the opening of the prayer, the takbiratul ihram. We've discussed the opening supplications. We've discussed suratul fatiha. We've discussed about the Quran that you recite after suratul fatiha. Now one of the issues that the Shaykh is going to mention here is, when you are actually standing... When you are actually standing in doing all of that, you've done your takbirat al-ihram and you've been reciting the Fatiha and the Quran, how are you actually physically standing? We've talked about the hands and everything, but your physical stance, your feet and your stance, how should that be? Where should your feet be positioned when you're standing? How do you stand? Salam. Any offers? Huh? Towards the Qibla with your feet far apart. What does far apart mean? Give us some idea. So far apart. So far apart? Some, some men are big men. And some men are small. As wide as your body, okay. So that's one. He's saying put your feet to the size of your body. Where your body width is, your legs going straight down there. So there's going to be a gap. In between your feet. There's going to be a gap. Because they are going to be in line with your sides. Straight down. Okay, that's one thing. Anybody else? How do you put your feet when you stand? So everybody puts them how he said. That's what everyone does. That's what everyone does. You don't know what you do. Generally, generally. Congregation alone, generally, where do you put your feet? Everybody knows. Shoulder width is what he said. But everybody knows many people do something else. What do many people do? Put their feet almost touching. Because some people believe you cannot have a gap bigger than hand span between your feet. Isn't that an opinion people mention? It is. It is something people mention. They say the gap between the two feet cannot be bigger than the size of your hand. So what are we talking? 15-20 centimeters most. So they got to be pretty close. That is something people mention. The evidences do not have any proof for that. About saying it can only be a hand span. There's no hadith proven authentic about it. It's an opinion. Some people they mention it. They say some of the scholars mentioned it. But in terms of getting down to actual proof, is there a hadith the Prophet ﷺ said only a handspan? Is it proven? Bukhari, Muslim, anything? Nothing. So there is no proof for that. Okay, so if there's no proof for that, what do you do then? If there is no proof identifying exactly what the gap used to be 
then what do you do then? What you do in that case is the natural default. The natural default. Somebody says to you, stand up. When you stand up, do you stand up and then shuffle your feet together to make sure they're only a hand, step, hand span apart? Is that how you stand when you normally stand? Somebody says to you, stand up, you're just going to get up and naturally your feet are going to land where? When you're just standing, you're stood in a queue, you're stood for uh, waiting for something to open, you're just stood. How are you normally naturally stood? Where are your feet? Shoulders width. Your feet when you normally stand are just in your shoulder width. The width of your body. Nobody stands with your feet next to each other. Somebody tips you and then you fall over. Nobody stands like that naturally. Your natural stance is with your feet at the natural level of your body length. Uh, body width. That is the natural standing. In the absence of any definitive proof telling us otherwise, then your stance should just be the natural stance. And that is at the width of the body. Nobody can claim that the natural way people stand is with their feet right next to each other. You're stood in a queue, you don't stand with your feet next to each other. You stand normal with your feet to the length and the width of your body. So that is what the Shaykh mentions. Because there is no hadith telling us you've got to stand a hand span apart or you've got to touch your feet, nothing like that. When you're standing, there's no hadith telling us exactly the length, the distance. So what do you do? Just your natural stance. If you're going to start saying, no, it's got to be a hand span, etc., you've got to give us definite proof, definite hadith. And that doesn't exist. Authentic evidence doesn't exist. So you just stand in the natural manner to the width of your body with your feet facing towards the Qibla. Then, in congregation, what else do you need to keep in mind? Join the feet with who? So in congregation, the rows, in congregation now, the rows are supposed to be connected. There's not supposed to be gaps in between people. So ideally, you should be next to the person whereby your shoulder is right next to their shoulder, touching. Your shoulder is on the shoulder of the person next to you. Not you're stood here and he stood there and there's a 30 centimeter, 10 centimeter gap between you. In the row, everybody should be side by side. Shoulder and shoulder onto each other. Ankle to ankle onto each other. So there isn't a gap. There's no physical gap between you. You're connected. The whole row in that way then becomes connected. And that's how it's supposed to be. In jama'ah, the row is supposed to be connected. You're not supposed to be individuals with gaps in between. You're praying in jama'ah. The whole point of the jama'ah together. So the row is supposed to be connected on the foot, on the ground. You can connect it by having the feet next to each other, ankles next to each other, feet next to each other, touching. It doesn't mean on top of each other. Just touching, just barely touching, so there's no gap. Most people that do what? Your foot is there, next person is about there. Normally have that gap in between. And that isn't right. You should be together, just touching. The feet, just touching. Shoulders, just touching on each other. So that now, you're connected. And the next person to you is connected. Next connected, all the row connected, no gaps in between anywhere. That is how you're supposed to line up. Also, how do you make your row straight? 
That is one of the ways. Imagine now you put your shoulder onto the shoulder of the person next to you. Is it possible for you to be behind him or ahead of him? But if you put your shoulder onto the shoulder of the person next to you, where are you going to be? You're going to be exactly at his side. You can't put your shoulder onto the shoulder of the next person equally side by side if you're trying to do it diagonally in front of you or behind you. If you're going to put your shoulder onto him side by side, it means you're going to be in line. That helps you to make your line straight. If your ankle joins onto the ankle of everybody, then at the back, all of your ankles and your heels are going to be in line. If you join your ankle to the ankle of the person next to you, everybody joins their ankle parts together. The heels of everybody at the back of the line are all going to be straight. At the front, it doesn't matter. Some people's feet are long. Some people are short. That doesn't matter. The heels of everybody at the back, when you look at this row now from behind it, you'll see the whole row in line. Because everybody's heels are going to be in line. Everybody's ankles are connected. That helps you to straighten the row. But because people don't connect their ankles, they don't connect their shoulders, none of that connection occurs, you might be a few centimeters behind the guy next to you. He might be a couple of centimeters in front of the guy next to him. It's all broken. No ankles together, no shoulders together. The row is jagged like this all the way through. So you're supposed to put the ankles together. One of the mistakes people make is when they straighten the row, they start looking at where their toes are ending up. So they start telling everybody back forward, back forward, and they line up all of the toes. And that is actually incorrect. That is not how you straighten the row. You don't straighten the row by looking at everybody's toes and getting everybody to line up with the toes. Some mosques, they have lines in the carpets. You're not supposed to put your toes at the edge of that line so everybody puts their toes on there. Because that doesn't straighten the row. When you look from behind it now, the physical bodies of the people are going to be mixed up. Somebody's a size 5, somebody's a size 10. You look from behind them now, this size 5 is going to be miles ahead of the guy who's a size 10 to get his feet, his toes onto the line. So then from the back, it's all jagged again. You're supposed to straighten up everybody's bodies. You're only going to do that if you line it up from the back, from the heels, from the ankles. Then everybody's backs are lined up, everybody's ankles are lined up. The only thing that's not lined up then is your toes at the front, and that doesn't matter. That's different size length toes at the front. But then everything at the back will be lined up. All your bodies will be lined up. So it's a mistake. People start looking at the front and saying, come forward, come back, getting everybody's toes onto the line. That isn't how you straighten the row. Those lines, look at your heels. Everybody put your heels on the lines, and that is now a straight line. So that is what Sheikh Al-Ithameen mentions here. Uh, and that's what the Sahaba used to do. That's mentioned in narrations. They used to join their sides and their ankles to straighten the rows. So, now we've done all of that. What's the next thing that's going to happen? Nobody knows. So you're going to get stuck on the prayer once you finish your surah. Ruku'ah. So the next thing now is the ruku'ah. Next thing to discuss is the ruku'ah. So after you've done all of that, you say Allahu Akbar, raising your hands again as you did before, up to either the ears, between the ears, shoulders, anywhere there. Raising your hands, facing the Qibla, Allahu Akbar, and then you go down into Ruku'ah.
down into Rukuwa. The question now is, how do you stand in the Rukuwa? What's the physical stance in the Rukuwa? Every time I've taught this elsewhere, we get to this stage, you have to have. What do you have to have? No, no. You have to have a volunteer who stands at the front and does it. So who's going to be a volunteer and show us how to do it? Nobody knows how to pray. Nobody's confident that they've been doing the rukua properly their whole lives. We have a volunteer. All right, so you're going to have to face the side and do it so they can see you from the side. All right, yeah, yeah, face this way, it's okay. okay. Come forward a bit here, come over here a bit. All right, do your rukua. All right, so hold that for a second. In the rukua position, there are certain things that need to be taken into consideration. One of them is that your back should not be curved. It should be flat. Is it? I can't see properly from here, but... Curved or flat? Mm, slightly, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. That's reasonably okay. That small bump, uh, that's not, not curved. If you curve your back properly, like badly, how you would curve it. Curve it. Like try to curve it if you can. Anyway, like, that's wrong. When you put your head down, put your head down. Now you can see a proper bend. That would be wrong. Put your head in line. Try and straighten it a bit more if you can. Yani. That's almost straight. Almost. So the back is straight. That's one thing you have to bear in mind. The next thing, you have to go down again. The head. Where should the head be? It should be in line with the back. So now raise your head up. Keep your back where it is. Raise it up. That's wrong now. His back is straightish. But his head is going up. Wrong. Take your head all the way down. Further down. Further down. Bend, uh, put your chin on your chest. There you are. That is wrong. Now somebody is putting their chin on their chest almost. Wrong again. Bring it in line with your back to the best of your ability. It should be in line. You put like a plank of wood there now. It should all be in line. The head and the top of the back. Alright, you can relax. So, that is one of the things that needs to be done there. The back needs to be straight, not curved like this. And not even curved the other way. Some people might even end up curving the other way with their head so far up. Shouldn't be curved either way. It should be straight the back. And your head, the back of your head, neck and the head, should be going straight on in line with the back. Not that it's curved down your head, or not that it's up your head. It should be in line with your back. That's the... The posture of your bend. What about your arms and your hands? Arms and hands. Another volunteer. Gonna have to be you. You're right there. Go and stand up. Face them this time and do your rukur. Face them and do it. Alright. Arms and hands. Where do they have to go? So they go on the knees. But where do the arms go now? Alright, so where should they not go? Join them to your side. Put them on your side. On your side, 
hitting your side, that's wrong. They should be away from your side. Away from your side. One hadith mentions you can make them curved. So try and do like a curved shape. You can do that. Mentions in the narration about a curved type of shape away from your body. Doesn't have to be curved, but as long as the point is it is away from your body to the extent that your armpits are free. They're not connected. You haven't got your arm on top of them. You've got your body away, your arm away to the extent that your armpits are free. That's how the arm should be in the ruku'ah. It's a mistake when people are joint together, squashed together. In the jama'ah, that's different. When you're squashed in the jama'ah, you can't do anything. But when you're alone, you're praying, you got space, the arms should be out so that your armpits are free. They should not be tucked away under your arm. They should be open your armpits when you're in the ruku'ah. So that is what you do with your hands on the knees with your arms out. Can be in a type of curved shape, no problem, straighter shape. But as long as they are out and your armpits are free. The hands should be on the knees as though you are grasping the knees. They shouldn't just be there flat or anything. As though you're grabbing the knees. Your hands should be on your knees like you're grabbing your knees. So your fingers are going to be slightly open, grabbing onto your knees like you're going to grab them. So that is the posture that a person is supposed to be in when they are in the ruku' position. Your feet don't move just like you were in your natural position at your body's width. That's why your feet stay in the ruku'ah too. Your feet stay there in the ruku'ah too. There is a hadith in Bukhari عن محمد بن عمر ابن عطاء أنه كان جالسا مع نفر من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فذكرنا صلاة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أبو حميد ساعدي أنا كنت أحفظكم لصلاة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أبو حميد الساعدي said I have memorized the prayer of the Prophet more than any of you and then he narrates it to them how he remembers it exactly. He said, He said, when I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing the takbir, he would put his hands in line with his shoulders. That's one opinion like we mentioned. And when he went into ruku', he would grab hold of his knees. Then he would straighten his back. فَإِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ اسْتَوَى حَتَّى يَعُودَ كُلَّ فَقَارٍ مَكَانًا Then he goes on to the other parts. So when you're going into ruku', those are the things to remember. And it's a common mistake people make in ruku'. Uh, one thing especially we didn't do yet, another volunteer required quickly. So uh, sideways on this time. Sideways on, do your ruku'. See, it's good everybody does the takbir even when you're practicing. Alright, so, your arms are a little bit wrong. Okay, alright, now, keep that posture, your whole back, take it down. Further, 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 head down too, your whole back. As if you're going to do sujood almost, but keep standing. Alright, don't people do that a lot? As if they're about to go all the way down and touch their head on the floor. 
That's one of the common mistakes people make. You don't bend yourself all the way down. You can sit all the way down as if you're going to almost touch your head on the floor. It's supposed to be like a, like a right angle. You're going to be straight. You don't start bending all the way down like you're going to touch the ground. So that is how you do the ruku'ah. There are some narrations mentioned here regarding it. What do you say in the ruku'ah? Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. In the hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, or it is mentioned about him, Thumma Raka'a Faja'ala Yaqul, that when he went into Ruku'a, he began to say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. How many times is the best thing to say it? At least three. Do it at least three. That is the goodness, the good prayer you did. Do it at least three times. If you're the imam leading the prayer, you should not go more than ten. If you're the imam leading the prayer, up to ten. Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, up to ten times. But you shouldn't just carry on more than that if you're the imam. If you're praying by yourself, as many times as you like. But as the imam, you don't go beyond ten. There are some narrations to that nature, as Sheikh al mentions. Uh, there are some other du'as that you can read on top of that. On top of Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, there are some other things. Subhanaka Allahumma Rabbana wa bihamdika Allahumma li. For example... Subhanaka Allahumma Rabbana wa bihamdika Allahumma ghfirli. That is possible to recite. Subbuhun quddusun rabbul malaikati wal ruh. Various other types that you can also recite in that ruku'ah. What is something that you cannot recite in the ruku'ah? Quran. Don't start reciting ayat of the Quran, surahs of the Quran. You don't recite Quran in the ruku'ah or in the... Sujood. So you can do these other du'as. Obviously, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim is what the people they know. So you do that, do it three times at least. And you can do it more than that, beyond that also. Once you've done that then, the next thing is now to come out of Ruku'ah. So what do you say as you're coming out of Ruku'ah? Sami'a Allahu liman hamidah. Mentioned in Al-Bukhari. Sami'a Allahu liman hamidah. Then after that, what do you say? Rabbana walakal hamd. Rabbana walakal hamd. That's possible. What else is possible? All right. So you can say Sami'a Allahu liman hamida Rabbana wa lakal hamd Or you can say Sami'a Allahu liman hamida Rabbana lakal hamd You missed out the wa Allowed, both of those are allowed Also you could say Sami'a Allahu liman hamida What's the other options? Oh, no, before that, for this, this part What else can you say for this part? 
You can also say Allahumma Rabbana walakal hamd. Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamd. The extra word Allahumma. That's possible too. As Shaykh al mentions that this extra word is also possible. Before we move on, we need to now establish the physical method of coming up out of Rukur. And this is one of the most common areas where people can invalidate their prayer even. You can invalidate your prayer if you don't do this part properly. So how are you supposed to come out of Rukur? Volunteer! You got a bad back. In that case, you can't volunteer for this part. Somebody else. Go on, somebody just quickly do it. Anybody, go on. Alright, so you're in the Rukur. Do the coming up. So, Sami Allah, do the everything, the, the reading as well. How you would do it properly. Alright, so, actually, there's something very precise there. The Shaykh says, as you're in the process of coming up, you should be saying, Sami Allahu liman hamidah. Just when you finish, Sami Allahu liman hamidah. That's when you should now reach the point of standing up. So in the process of standing up, you should say that part. Sami Allahu liman hamidah. Now you're stood up. Now as you're stood up, you should say, so you shouldn't say that part until you actually have got to the point of standing up. As you're coming up, say, Sami Allahu liman hamidah. Now you're stood up, Rabbana walakal hamd. What do people do here then? That is the common, common, common mistake. Going to Rukur. Alright, now. You're gonna come up about 10 centimeters and go into sujood. Sami Allahu liman hamidah. That's the one, that's the one. What do people do? You can sit down. So they come out of Rukur. It's Sami Allahu liman hamidah. Rabbana Allahu Akbar. They never ever stood up. And if you never stand up in that part, it can invalidate your prayer. In fact, the Sheikh says your prayer is invalid. Your prayer is invalid. Because standing up at that part is a requirement. It is a requirement to stand up at that part. Many people don't do it. They're such, in such a rush, out of rukuah, they just flick up, straight down again. Flick up and down. They never get to the position of actually standing up straight. And that is a big mistake. Big mistake. Scholars, they say your prayer is invalid if you don't come up and stand straight at that part before going down into sujood. Why? Because the hadith, the narrations, they say it. In this hadith, it mentions that when the Prophet ﷺ came up out of Rukur, he came up, حَتَّى يَعُودَ كُلُّ فَقَارٍ مَكَانَ he came up until every bone went back into place. How does every bone go back into its place when you are stood straight? Your skeleton is now into its place. If you come halfway up, your backbone definitely still isn't in place. It's not in place. The narration says the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to come up, he used to allow all of his bones to get back into place. That can only happen when you are stood up straight. All your backbone goes into place. 
your arms, everything is now in place in your natural stance. As you're bending up halfway, and then you go down again, your back never got back into its place. The hadith says the Prophet ﷺ allowed his bones to get back into their natural place. That can only happen if you come up straight, stand up. Let them get into place, then go into rukhwa. If you're not doing that, it's a quick flick up and down, gone. Never stood up properly, you never allowed your bones to get back into their place properly. That can invalidate your prayer, your prayer isn't even correct. That is possible, the scholars do mention that. That is a key point everybody has to remember. Slow down and pray properly. Allow yourself to come up, stand, then go into the next part of the sujood. No, it's okay. That doesn't. That's uh, what we said about you're supposed to say it as you're coming up. That doesn't make a difference if you did say it after you stood up straight. That part isn't a major issue. Even if you are standing up now and they're saying Sami Allah it's allowed. For the Imam, it's allowed to be a little bit late like that so that people make sure that people stay behind him. Because if the Imam starts saying it, as soon as he moves from the Rukur, Sami, as soon as people hear the scene, they're already stood up. So it's allowed for the Imam to be slightly slower. It is allowed. To be slightly slower. Give himself a bit of a chance to start coming up and then say, Sami Allahu liman hamidah. Even then, the first row, some of the people, as soon as they see him coming up, he hasn't even said anything yet. Hasn't even said the scene yet. They just see, see him moving, they start moving already. And it's wrong. We're going to get to that at the end of the book. Not allowed to do that. So the Imam could slightly delay. And it's not a big deal that. As long as you say, Sami Allahu liman hamidah, Rabbana wa alhamd. Even in the takbirat, from that position now, the Imam's going to say, to go into sujood, he's gonna now say, When does he say it? Not as soon as he starts going down. If he starts now, okay, so he's standing up straight. If he now says, Allah, as he starts moving down, same thing. Before he even finishes saying, Allahu Akbar, half the people are gonna be in sujood. That's the problem. So then the Imam should delay a bit, he should start going down. As he's going down, he's like halfway down, then say, Allahu Akbar. Then the people will end up starting going down after him. So by that way, technically he should get down before they get down. And really, as we're going to come and see, the sunnah is, even when he starts saying Allahu Akbar, you're not supposed to start going down. You're only supposed to start going down into sujood when his head touches the ground. So he comes out of the ruku'a, Sami Allahu liman hamidah, Rabbana wa alhamd, Allahu akbar, and he goes and goes and goes, and his head touches the ground, then the first row should move. Because in the first row, you can see that anyway. Even when you're looking at your prostration place, it's in the line of sight. You can see when the imam has gone down. So the first row shouldn't move until they see in their peripheral vision that the head of the imam is now touched, then they should start moving. That is how it should work properly according to the sunnah. The head of the imam touches the ground, then you start going down into sujood. It's a hadith in Muwatta wal Imam Malik. That's what they used to do. Nowadays it's a big problem. A big problem that people go ahead of the imam. As soon as he starts saying a little word, they're down. Is it, is it 
With all of the actions they do it. Everything. And also, you know, when you do Wendy, you raise your hands. And when you body straight, before you say, The raising of the hands, again, it's not a major issue. In that area, you raise your hands. You can do it as you're coming up. You can do it when you're stood up now, raise your hands. As long as you raise the hands for the takbir. It just mentions in the hadith, every time the Prophet ﷺ used to rise, he would raise his hands. Every time he used to go down, he would do the takbir as well. So the takbirat would be done and the raising of the hands when you stood, you can do it. But the important point here, and we're going to get to it in detail at the end. The scholars, they mention, what's the point of you trying to go ahead of the imam? This is the, the thing people don't even think about. It's so illogical. Why try to be so quick? Why? It makes no sense whatsoever. Why? Makes no sense whatsoever to try and be quick. None at all. Why? Because at the end of the prayer, it doesn't matter how quick you were, you can't finish your prayer until the imam says, Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah. So you can't do anything until he gives the final salam. So what are you rushing for? You could rush and do all of the prayer in 10 seconds and just be sat there then. You're going to have to sit there and wait until the imam finishes and says, Assalamu alaikum. Then you're going to finish your prayer. So you can't finish your prayer until the imam finishes his prayer. So what purpose is there for you to rush? Relax, follow the imam carefully and slowly. Not like you're going to be able to finish your prayer earlier than the imam and go. So you can't finish your prayer before the imam, therefore you have no reason to rush in reality. What's the point of trying to get down into sujood before the imam? What's the point of getting into ruku'ah, coming out of ruku'ah before the imam? As soon as he says the letter, you're out. What's the point? At the end, you're not going to be able to go anywhere until he says, Assalamu alaikum anyway. So it's not like you're doing your ruku'ah and your sujood quickly so you can finish quickly and go. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. So a person needs to be careful. We're going to come to that in detail anyway about how to follow the imam. Because if you go ahead of the imam, your prayer is invalid. If you go ahead of the imam, your prayer is invalid. If you go equal to the imam, still a big problem. You're supposed to be behind the imam in everything. Huh? The imams who are too fast, it is a problem. They are not practicing the sunnah in how they're leading the prayer. So you've got to try your best just to keep as much as possible in line. You have to keep in line because if you miss something, you miss a pillar, then your, your raka'ah will be invalid. If you're still reading your fatiha and this imam is so fast, he's finished your ruku'ah, going into sujood, you're still finishing ghayri al-maghdubi alayhim, then that raka'ah won't even count for you. So you've got to try and keep up. You've got to try and reasonably keep up. Just read a small surah after Fatiha. Even if you don't get a chance to read any surah after Fatiha, no problem, your prayer is valid. As long as you got your Fatiha in. So you got to try and keep up to the best of your ability. You know some imams, they don't practice the sunnah. They rush through really quickly. So you know that. So try and keep up to the best of your ability. Then, this issue that we'll do now, as you come out of the ruku'ah, where do your hands go? Where do your hands go when you come out of Ruku'a? Down by your side? On your chest? So if they go down by your side, what's your proof? Is there an explicit hadith where the companion said, and we saw the Prophet ﷺ put his hands down by his side after the Ruku'a? Is there? 
No. Is there a specific hadith saying, and we saw the Prophet ﷺ put his hands back on his chest after the ruku'ah? No. So, what are you going to do now then? Why is that a principle? How's that principle come? Just because you started your prayer like that doesn't mean you finish it. There's loads of different positions in the prayer. Ruku, sujood, all sorts. Natural way of standing. So, this issue is a difference of opinion. When you come out of the ruku'ah, do you come out and put your hands back on the chest where they were before you went into ruku'ah? Before you went into ruku'ah, what were you doing? Reciting your surah. Your hands were on your chest. Then you said, Allahu Akbar, and went into ruku'ah. So do you come out of ruku'ah and put your hands back there again? Or do you come out of ruku'ah and leave them down by the side? Strongest opinion is the chest. Is that what you do? You're telling me the strongest opinion is to put them on the chest, but you put them down by your side. Alright, what are the evidences? Firstly, like we said, there isn't a clear hadith. That's why the difference of opinion exists. If there was a clear hadith, we saw the Prophet putting them back on their chest. Finished. But there isn't. So now, ijtihad. The scholars need to examine and analyze all the evidences available to come to a conclusion. What do you do with your hands when you come off the ruku'ah? Some of them said, you put it back on your chest. Some of them said, no, you put it down by your side. The evidences they used. There was one narration we just mentioned a while ago. That narration said what? That when the Prophet ﷺ came out of ruku'ah, all of his... Limbs, his bones would go back into their natural position. So, what is the natural position of the arms? Hanging down by your side. You stood in a queue. Your normal position, your normal position of standing. Somebody says, just stand up there. How would you stand? You wouldn't stand with your hands here, with your hands here. You would stand. Stand. Natural stand is just put your hands down by your side. That's the natural stand, isn't it? So the hadith says, when the Prophet ﷺ came out of ruku'ah, his bones would go back into their natural positions. When you stand, your natural position is hands down by the side. How do we know that? Because if I randomly said to somebody, stand up, how would you stand up? 99 out of 100 people would stand up, just arms down by the side. That's what you would do. Nobody would do, if I said, stand up for a second, Nobody would stand up and just randomly have their arms out there. <laughs> Nobody would do it. Because the natural position of your arms, you just leave them there. So they said, look, according to the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ used to stand up and leave his bones in their natural position. Natural position down by your side? Seems like a fairly reasonable evidence. The other scholars, they said, no. The natural position is here. How come? If I say stand up, you're not going to stand up and look like you're praying. How is that the natural position? Because the hadith says the Prophet when he stood up, all of his bones went back into their place. What was the place of the arm bones before the ruku'ah? 
That's where the arm bones were before he went into Ruku'ah. The hadith says all of his bones went back to where they were. The arms were here. The other scholars understood that to mean to go back to where they were, i.e. into their natural position. That's there. They said no, go back to where they were, i.e. where they were before the Ruku'ah. So therefore upon that conclusion, here... Do you see how the scholars can make ijtihad from a narration then? The narration says the Prophet stood up and his bones went back to where they were, how they should be. One group of scholars said that means your natural position, where your bones go back to where they are. Your arms are down by your side, that's where they are. Fair enough, no problem. Others said the meaning of it going back to where they were, i.e. where they were before the ruku'ah. And that was up here on the chest. So you can see how the same evidence could be understood in two ways there. There's another evidence the scholars who say put it back on your chest use, which is a reasonably good evidence too. They say in the prayer there are four positions overall. What are the four positions overall? There is standing, rukur, sujood, tashahud, sitting down. Either you're standing, or you're in ruku'ah, or you're in sujood, or you're sitting at the end doing your tashahud. Four positions in the prayer. Standing, ruku'ah, sujood, sitting. Four positions. In the standing position when you start your prayer, the hadith and the sunnah clearly tells us in the standing position your hands are supposed to be on your chest. In the ruku'ah position, clearly we've just done, your hands are supposed to be knees. In the sujood, as we're going to get to it, your hands are supposed to be on the ground. In hadith as well. In the sitting position, the hadith, we're going to get to it, your hands are supposed to be on your knees. So in every position, it tells us where your hands are supposed to be. In the standing up one, when you're reading your fatiha, etc., it tells us your hands are supposed to be on the chest. When you come out of ruku'ah, which one of the four positions are you in? You're not in the ruku'ah anymore, you're not in the sujood anymore, you're not in the sitting anymore, you're in the standing position. In the standing position, the hadith told us your hands are supposed to be on chest. your chest. Right now, after the ruku'ah, you are in which one of the four positions of the prayer? The standing position. In the standing position, we've been told your hands are supposed to be on your chest, just like they were before the ruku'ah. Before the ruku'ah, after the ruku'ah, what difference does it make? You're standing up. Therefore, they say, put your hands back on your chest. Very reasonable. Very reasonable again. And that's why it's quite a strong evidence. They say there are four positions in the prayer. In every position we've been told where you put your hands. In ruku'ah, on your knees. In sujood, on the floor. In tashahud, on your knees, on your thighs. In standing, on your chest. When you come out of ruku'ah, which position are you in? You're not in sitting. You're not in sujood. You're not in ruku'ah. You're in the standing. In the standing one, hands go where? Chest. Strong evidence. So, with this issue, there is a difference of opinion like that. And you could carry on talking about it forever. It's not something you're going to come to a definitive conclusion on. Scholars for centuries haven't come to a definitive conclusion on it. It's a difference of opinion. You look at those evidences, and you come to the best judgment you can, and you do it. Look at those evidences, come to the best judgment you can from it, and just do it. That is a difference of opinion, ishtihad, and analysis of the scholars. 
That's where we'll round off today then. Inshallah ta'ala. Next week at the same time, 7 p.m. Or straight after the prayer, 7.15 p.m. 7 o'clock is the last time next week? 7.15 is, uh, 7, 7 is, is the prayer. So straight after the prayer. Prayer straight after 10 past 7, quarter past 7 will begin, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. You're going to have to get something, huh? Go on. No, when the adhan is done, when you walk into the mosque, you sit down. When the iqama starts to get read, that's when you stand up and line up. Wait to hear the iqama. Some people say you gotta wait to hear qadqamati salah. Not necessarily. Any time when the iqama starts being read, that's when you stand up and line up. You're not supposed to start lining up before the iqama. Some people, they see the, the guy who's going to do the iqama, they know it's him. When they see him getting, that's it, everybody starts getting up. Wait! He might be getting up to just get some tissue or something yet. Wait! Let him start doing the iqama. When you hear it, then start standing up and do your role. Huh? And that's the other thing. The person doing the iqama shouldn't do it until the imam appears. So it's all connected. The person doing the iqama shouldn't start doing it until the imam arrives. If the imam doesn't arrive and he gets really late and they've got some organization in the mosque, somebody else is a substitute. Okay, so he sees the substitute there now, the imam isn't there. He can get up and start doing the iqama. But the person doing the iqama should not do it until the imam arrives or the secondary people who are given that responsibility are there. Then he can get up and start doing the iqama. When he gets up and starts doing the iqama, you can get up and line up. That's the order of things. Azim? No, Azim is not good. Azim is pronounced incorrectly. It's not a za, it's a dha. Subhana Rabbi al Azim, not Azim. These kind of things, the basic pronunciation you should sort out. Because if you end up reading Fatiha wrong, your prayer can be invalid. غَيْرِ الْمَغْزُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَزَّالِينَ Incorrect. You cannot pray behind somebody who says وَلَزَّالِينَ It's وَلَزَّالِينَ وَلَزَّالِينَ in Arabic has a different meaning altogether. So you've got to have basic pronunciation. In the books of the scholars, in the books of Hadith, they tell you who has the right to be an Imam. One of the conditions is he can pronounce Arabic properly. If he can't pronounce that recitation properly, doesn't mean he has to have tajweed, has to be like the imams of the haram or something, no. As long as he can just pronounce the letters properly, decent. If he can't even do that, he's doing, that's, that's not right. You should not pray behind that type of imam. Because has a different meaning to changes the meaning. If you change the meaning, it's incorrect, your prayer can be invalid. Hmm. Yes, if the Imam is in the Ruku' and he hears the door open, so he hears somebody coming in late, it's allowed for the Imam to just give it a moment or two longer. Not long, but just a moment or two longer. Give the guy a chance to join in into the Ruku' because then he'll catch the Raka'ah. So it's allowed, that's in the Sunnah, it's allowed. Just to slightly delay, allow the person to catch aloud, but not to stay there forever for another minute or something. No, 
just a slight delay, a slight pause. You've heard him coming in, give him a chance to catch up. That's okay. All right, we'll leave it there. Carry on next week, inshallah.